So um, the last couple times uh, we were together, we talked a little bit about faith, faith and belief and trust and how they all kind of weave together. And there are similar words, not exactly the same, but they're similar words. And we'll talk a little bit about belief. We're going to talk about how much God loves us. And do we believe that? Do, do we believe that God really loves us? And um, this, this believe, if you drill down and really study the word, it's, it's almost like to digest or to become a part of that you believe it so much that it becomes a part of you, that you've digested it. So, of course, how my brain works is I go back to when I was 10 years old growing up in, in Michigan. Ooh, that clock's off, isn't it? Better put this up here. It's not going to be good. Um, so growing up in Michigan, really, uh, you know, great place to grow up, up on the Upper Peninsula. Yeah. Um, yeah, well... For the two weeks, it's not winter. It's really a great place <laughs> to grow up. And it was such a different time because my mom would say, be home at dark. Well, it got dark at 10 up there. So I'd be, I'm thinking about this with my grandson and with our kids, riding my bike about a mile and a half down to the lake and me and some friends just going swimming after dinner until 10 no lifeguard, it's just a lake. And there's a raft out there, and we just go swimming at, at dark. And, it, it's, and then ride our bikes back on the highway. Back, back to, I mean, the highway back in, in northern Michigan is kind of a... Anyway, but it was just different. So uh, my, my next-door neighbor, best friend Bill, and I were fishing one time, and, and I caught a pretty... I got them that close to the boat. <laughs> anyway, I caught a pretty good-sized northern pike, which are real gnarly, kind of mean, prehistoric-looking fish. And we kept fishing, and then it, if I bring it home cleaned, my mom would cook it for me. That was kind of the rule, but it had to be cleaned, all the guts and stuff out of it. So I'm cleaning it, and if you've ever cleaned a fish, is this gross? Is this appropriate? Is this Sunday school appropriate? Anyway... <laughs> So you shove the knife in the stomach and you start, you start full, getting the, you know, scraping the guts out. And it was hard. I'm like, what is this? And ah, it was super hard. And I'm like, this is just the weirdest thing ever. And I'm just butchering it trying to, because I can usually, you know, flip, pull the head off and we're good. Is that, is that Sunday school material? Pull the head off. Hey, Peter was a fisherman. John was a fisherman. They know all about the guts and stuff. So anyway, I, I get it. I, I, I open it. How's that? I opened it. And lo and behold, inside of it was another fish. And its lips were digested. Its eyeballs were digested. They're just eye sockets. Its fins were gone. This fish was becoming digested it was becoming a part of the bigger fish. See, you knew there was a theological deal that I'd come back to. Sometimes not, though. Sometimes I'll just talk. Um, so I, the, the little fish was becoming, becoming a part of 
the bigger fish, and that's kind of where that concept of belief, uh, that it, you believe something to the point where it becomes a part of you, where you start doing things that are influenced by that belief. So the, the big fish was getting its energy from the little fish because it was becoming a part of, is be, being digested. So what does any red-blooded 10-year-old boy do? We cut the little fish open and start cleaning it, thinking there might be another fish inside of it, like the stackable Santa Clauses. And it was really slimy, and it was real, uh, but there wasn't anything in it, so we didn't save the smaller fish, just for you moms out there. So that's kind of the concept of this belief, trust, that you, it becomes a part of who you are. It, that's, you're, you're dedicated to that belief enough where it becomes a part of you. So what we're going to talk about today is do you believe that God loves you? I mean, do you believe it to the core of your existence where it's becoming a part of you where your lives are being influenced by that thought that do you believe that God loves you and and do you trust or believe that he has our best interests at heart? Do we, do we believe that, that God has our best interests at heart? Because it's, it's I mean, I'm 50-50 sometimes where I, where I start wavering. My belief starts wavering. I start doing stupid stuff. And if we really believed uh, that, that God loves us, it should free me up um, to further the kingdom of God instead of always furthering the kingdom of Greenlee, if I really believe that. Um, so, voila. I didn't know I had that many scriptures. On. I was like, I'm going to do this ahead of time so I'm not f fumbling around. So anyway, that's what we're going to look at today. So the first one is in um, John 15. And, we're in, and just let this roll over your mind and be honest with yourself. Do you really believe to the core of your existence that God loves you? Or is there a little holdback? Is there a little caveat? Or do you really believe that God loves you and that, you, and that he's you can trust him. So in John 15, in those passages, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, this is the last kind of instructions uh, with Jesus to his best friends. And this is kind of the culmination of his ministry coming down, the final instructions, you might say. So in John 15, 9 through 17, let me just read that to us. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. So let's go through that a little bit. In, in verse 9, uh, just as the Father has loved you, has loved me, um, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Um, so Jesus is saying, the Father loves me, and I love you, abide. Remember, Cliff was talking about that, abide, to stay, to hang out, to just camp out in that thought, to abide. And we'll look later on when we get into the verses preceding this, that that abide just keeps showing up. Abide in me, abide in my love. Um, so he's, he's telling us... the. The Father loves me, Jesus is saying, the Father loves me, and I love you. Now just abide in that love, hang out, stay there in that love. Well, I mean, that's, that's real churchy talk, God loves you, now just stay there. Well, how, do you, how? I'm a how guy. How do you do that? How do you abide in God's love? Because it's real intangible for me, the way I look at, at things well, he tells us in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Right there. It's a how-to book. If, if you keep my commandments, um, that, then you will abide in, in my love. So um, to stay, to keep those commandments, to obey. And then what happens when, when we happen to obey? It, it, he tells us, in the next passage, um, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So God loves me. I love you. Abide in my love. How do you do that? Keep my commandments. What happens if I keep God's commandments? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, what would that be like? What would it be like to have Jesus' joy in our life? And occasionally, that happens to us, to me. Occasionally. I wish I could just get it and then break the switch off where it just stays on, where Jesus' love is in me all the time, and that I'm, I'm or Jesus' joy, and I'm overflowing with that joy. How, how do you... How? How do you do that to, uh, uh, that my joy may be full? How, how do we get to that point where our joy may be full? And what's that like? When Jesus' joy is in us and it's full, and that means complete, that that joy is complete, there's no more joy to be had. So what happens when that happens? You all have experienced it. I've experienced it. But then it, the cares of the world, the worries of the stuff just kind of nibble away at it, and you look up and you're all scared again. Or is that just me? Is that everybody in here? Okay. So how, how do we get to the point where we're staying, where that love, 
where we're overflowing in God's joy a little bit more. And then what happens, what's that like? Um, it says greater, in 13, it says greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do it, I command. There it is again. If, you, if we obey God, we're his friends. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, so because of this, of Jesus joining us, uh, he's laying down his life, and that gives us the ability to also lay down our life, do extraordinary acts. And, you know, we have a, we have a woman that we, that we pray for and support in this class, uh, Deborah, down in Honduras doing extraordinary acts. What the heck? Why her? Why is she doing that? It's amazing what she's doing. Because that's a tough place. I mean, it all seems like, oh, you know, Honduras, I'll, it's just a couple countries down. Honduras is a tough place right now in the world. And she's, and she's just, she's doing it. So I have friends um, all over the world right now, this morning, that are doing these extraordinary acts all over the world in in uh, China, in North Korea, in Beirut, Lebanon, in Congo, doing these extraordinary acts that I can't do, obviously, because I'm here and I've had plenty of opportunity to go move over there and and do that, but it, it's not in the cards. It's not. It's not for me. Um, doing these extraordinary acts of love, probably with this joy overflowing, this, this fullness of joy to tell people about Jesus. Um, and I, the only explanation that I can have for these folks uh, going to these really tough places is they've kind of got a glimpse of a little <laughs> bit of this, that they understand how much God loves them, they freely obey, what he wants us to do, and now their joy is starting to spill over and, and spill and, and, and overflow. And, um, uh, you know, that can work too with bitterness if you've ever had the chance to be bitter. Anybody ever had the chance to be bitter? <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty easy, isn't it? Well, it's just like carrying around your cup of bitterness and then somebody bumps you and it overflows and it gets on your hands and, you just, and you're just overflowing with bitterness. I think it works the same way with joy. Where you're over, here, you've met people like that. You're like, why are they so happy? Don't they see they should be hacked off and angry and scared? What's wrong with them? You know, when I look at somebody like Deborah, I'm like, man, this is just phenomenal that she can go down there day after day, year after year, and pour into the poorest people in that country. And they love her, and she loves what, her doing, what she's doing. And that she is a perfect example of overflowing joy, and then her, her life showing those examples of what happens when that happens, when we start overflowing with joy, and that's understanding that God loves us and we in doing what he says, oh, obey what I say. Um, 
So we become God's friends. In, in 15, I no longer call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all these things I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. So we become friends, not slaves. And it's probably hard for us to understand that concept of slaves. It was really common back then is if you were stronger than that tribe over there, you conquer them and make them slaves. And that was the world up until just not too long ago. Um, and it still is in, the, in these really rough places that we go. It's just really tough. Um, so is it, is it optional to pay your taxes? Hmm? Oh, absolutely it is. Yeah. It's optional. Now, you may not like where you go if you don't pay your taxes. Um, but why, how can we pay our taxes? Fear. Dang right. It even says in, in Romans that, that you don't fear the sword of the government for no reason. There's a reason you fear the sword of the government. So we're pay, we pay our taxes we obey out of fear. So is it optional? It's not in, in, our, in all of us, because we have civility, because we're here in this room, and it's, we're climate controlled, and it's nice. It's really not optional for us to not pay our taxes. We just pay our taxes. We just do it. We don't like it, but we do it. So is it optional to help a friend? Yeah, totally optional. In fact, if you have an opportunity to help your friend and you choose not to help your friend because oh, I just don't want to go there, this, and that, they're still your friend. You don't, you don't go say, hey, I was going to help you change your tire on, when I saw you on the side of the road, but eh, I wanted to get home. My tummy was growling. You, you don't say that. You just, you just go on and they're still your friend. So it's, it's totally optional uh, to help your friend um, so when, you, when we help our friends, we're doing that out of love, out of friendship. Kind of what Jesus is talking here. We're doing it because we love. When we, when we obey the government, we're doing it because of fear. So it's obeying. When he talks about abide in my commandments, obey my commandments, we're supposed to be doing it because out of love like a friend, not scaredy cat fear, um, you know, like the government. Um, so in 16 and 17, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit, and that fruit should remain, abide, that whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he may give to you. This, is a, this, is, this I command you, that you love one another. Um, so we're, we're friends, we're obeying because of this friendship, uh, not slaves, not for fear of the government or for fear of our friends won't like us, um, so that in all this where we, where we understand that God loves us and that uh, we're supposed to abide in his commandments so that our joy may be complete and we don't just camp there. 
so that we can go do stuff. That's, that's what he says. That whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he may give you. That we have stuff to go do. Um, but that, that starts with the obedience so that our joy may be made complete. So um, when I had one of my knees replaced um, last October, and then my other one in December... Um, no, it's more like, oh, these really hurt. Anyway, um, did you get the reference to the bionic man there? Did everybody get that? Okay, yeah, same thing. So um, we had a, we've been, we were, our house had been for sale for a year and a half, and we'd been in our other house, and Lo and behold, somebody comes to want to buy it in the next seven days or eight days. So we had to get all the rest of our junk out of there that I'd been procrastinating and putting off. So a friend came over and helped Terry move the rest of the stuff. Now, did, the friend didn't have a gun to his head. He did it. He was falling all over himself to do it. He wanted to help because of our friendship. Um... So I, uh, some of these ministries that we, that we get to deal with, this, this ministry called Christian Friends of Korea um, that go uh, to North Korea, where our president was this morning. If you read that, that was weird. Um, they go to North Korea and where uh, if you catch tuberculosis in North Korea, they put you in an internment camp and just hope you die. They don't give you food, medicine, nothing. There's, you're out in an internment camp out in the middle of nowhere, outside of Pyongyang, a couple, three, four, five hours. They're all over North Korea. And uh, so Christian Friends of Korea, which is an off, a distant offshoot of Billy Graham's wife's family, the Bell Family Foundation, who stayed in Korea when they split after the war, um, they go and they supply and, and encourage and show people the love of Jesus in these internment camps, in these tuberculosis camps is what they call them, um, and, uh, and, and help out. And, and people are coming to know Jesus in a country where it's illegal to tell people about Jesus, literally illegal, like gulag, you're in jail, illegal, death penalty kind of stuff, illegal. And um, I, I, I asked her when I was there, I'm like, why are you doing this? This is like the hardest place I've ever been in my life to get there. I mean, it, you know, we, we bebopped over to Zambia, way down south, uh, and took, took our family and Terry and the girls went. And, you know, it's a long trip, but and a little bit adventurous. You, you fly in a single engine plane over the Congo and land on kind of a remote airstrip like that. But at least when you get there, everybody's, woo, they're here to help. Hey, Christians, we're Christians. Isn't this nice? And it's real friendly. It's real nice. Well, that's not the case in North Korea. I mean, we're, we're going through checkpoints. And I've, I've been through uh, checkpoints where there's a, a kid with a branch across the road, a 14-year-old kid with an AK-47 with a branch across the road wanting to collect some money. Um, you know, checkpoint like that. 
these checkpoints you go through in North Korea, these are hardened North Korean soldiers that hate your guts. You're an American. They look at your blue passport. They hate you. And it's evident when they come on, on board and they empty off the bus and they're standing there with their Chinese-made machine guns just hating on you. And it's quite scary because you can't go anywhere in North Korea if you don't have a pass. You can't go from county to county. There's checkpoints everywhere, and that's how he keeps iron-fisted control. Why, Heidi, why are you doing this, I ask her. This is like a really tough place. What, of all the places you could go minister, and they've been there 20 years, and they're having huge influences there in North Korea. Um, you know, it seems like it to me it's all downside. It's hard to get there. It's expensive. You can't ship stuff there hardly. It's really difficult to ship things over to give them supplies. They go and they give them $5 worth of antibiotics, and the person is cured of the tuberculosis, and then they give them farm implements to farm with and seeds, and these have become oasises because none of the government people from Pyongyang want to go there because if they catch tuberculosis, they're going to be put in an internment camp and die. Oh, but these have become little oasises because the tuberculosis is gone and they're, you know, when they sat down and they fed us, we had all kinds of food and they're starving to death in North Korea. Well, this is an agricultural community. They're growing fish, they're growing corn and peppers. And I mean, it's just amazing what's going on there. But to me, it just seemed like it was all downside. There's easier places that you can go in Africa and, and, and do some good, like Sharon does. Um, I mean, in North Korea, it's illegal for a North Korean to know an American. It's illegal. So when you come up to the village and they see Americans are coming, everybody runs away because it's illegal. And then within about two hours, we're juggling with the kids and running around and goofing off and playing ball and everything like that. And they're feeding us, and it's just amazing. Um, I, I, it's because it, it's 100% in Christian Friends of Korea's case, it's because of that completeness of joy that overflowing joy that she does it. And she said, why would I go anywhere else? This is amazing. We're having such great influence and it's hard, yeah, but I mean, this is amazing. This is my life's calling. I am, I am all about this. And it's evident when you're around her, that overflowing joy, it gets on you. Ooh, like the bitterness, ooh, I got joy on me. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets all over you. <laughs> We're, we're, in a hotel, we're in a hotel room where, you know, we've got minders. You can't go anywhere. You're, we're in a hotel room, um, and uh, we're, we're doing praise and worship with the guitar and singing songs and stuff like that. And I'm like, are we supposed to be doing this? Oh, yeah, we're in the hotel. We can do whatever we want to do. It's just us. We can't, we're not passing Bibles out. It's just us. And they let us do this. So we're doing praise and worship, and it's just evident and it was real powerful worship. It was a lot of fun, but it was that, it was that overflowing joy. Um, so I think we all know in this room that we should obey. I think we all know that. Or we can come to that realization that we should obey. Um, it's, but what is the motive for our obedience? Is it that so we don't get into trouble IRS thing? 
Or is, it, or, or is it our friends coming over to help us move where he's stumbling all over himself to come help us because he wants to? So what's the motive? I've been, in both, I've been in both camps on this thing, and I go back and forth, and I, I go, come on, how long have you been a believer? Where you might think, well, I've got a big week coming up, a big interview or a big project. I better go to church. Like you're rubbing... I always think you're rubbing the genie, but then you'd get punched. It's rubbing the lamp, not the genie, where you're rubbing the lamp to try to get the genie to do something for you. So you're, so you're going to, ch- I better go to church to, to get, to maybe God will do something if I go to church. I do him a solid, he'll do me a solid. Or, or it's just total fear, like the IRS. Oh, I better do this. Oh, uh, I better read my Bible. This morning, you know, like that. So what's the motive? What's the motive of our obedience? Um, To go to North Korea or to help a single mom or all of the things that you all do every week to go help people. You know what you do. That's why this is such a great class. We're doers. We go do stuff to help. And we're doing it, I think, mostly for the right motives. I think every now and then I get sideways and I'm doing it for the wrong motive out of fear. I'm scared or I'm trying to kind of coax God to, hey, I really need this, so do a little quid pro quo. I'll go and read my Bible extra here if you go do this here. But we're trying to work our way out of that motivation um, <laughs> so that we can try to make God smile. He tells us in, in 1 John um, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. Remember, this is all coming back to how much, how, do we really believe God loves us? Do, do I really believe that God loves me? How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we might be called children of God, and that is what we are. Um, Genesis 2-7, Beth Moore has a really good little study on this. Genesis 2-7, um, how God formed us. Um, Genesis is in the first of the Bible. Could call it one Genesis. Um, then God formed man out of dust of the ground. He breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So picture that. And Beth Moore teaches that, you know, God gets down on his knees and he forms man out of dust, and he breathes into us, and the man comes to life, and God stands up, and he's got dirt on his knees and dirt on his hands and dirt on his face where he was forming man. In the previous chapter, God speaks everything into existence. Let there be light. So he's up on the throne. Let there be light. He comes to man. He's down on his hands and knees getting dirty, forming us, knowing Isaiah 53. I didn't put that up there. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely our griefs, 
He himself bore in our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. He knew that when he was forming us, that he was going to have to send his son to death. And he did it anyway. How much love is that? When God was forming man, he knew he was going to send his son to die for that man he just formed. And he did it anyway. How much does God really love us? Can we, can we fathom that? That, how, that he knew that going in. Um, and Cliff says, you know, you know, why did he do this? Cliff says that, uh, that God knew how great it would be for us to know him. That's why he did it. God knew how great it would be for us to know him. In, in John 14, um, I lost my place. John's in the New Testament. In John 14, uh, 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance... All that I said to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, I do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He, he left the Holy Spirit with us to help us through these things, to, under, to help us understand how much God really loves us. He left that Holy Spirit there for, for us to accomplish things outside of our ability to do stuff that's outside of, the th of what we can naturally do as a person. He gave us that. In, in John 14, 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I shall do, he shall also do, and greater works than these he shall do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I'll do it. So once we, once we kind of camp out and understand how much God loves us and that we have the chance to have complete joy, now, with that complete joy, we go do stuff. And, he'll, and he says, just ask me. I've left the Holy Spirit with you. Ask me for anything. I'll do it. I want you to spread this complete joy just like our friends over in North Korea are doing. In Ephesians uh, 3.14 Ephesians 3.14. It's after Galatians. Um, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the all fullness of God." Why do you think it is that God wants so badly for us to know how much he loves us? That's what that is saying. The high, that to know the, the love of Christ, the, to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth, to know God's love for us. He wants us to know that badly because once we get that, that's where we become full of that complete joy and we can go do stuff then. 
Um, and then, and then in, in John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in you bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and then they're gathered up and they toss him into the fire. I put in toss, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He, want, he has stuff for us to do. All we got to do is ask. And when we do, we're proving that we're his disciples when we go do stuff. And then, of course, the, the passages in Ephesians 2 and, and, and Psalm 139 where, um, where we're God's workmanship, where he created us in advance, where he knew about our time here on earth. He knew about this class. He knew about our times here on earth. Um, to go do stuff. And then if, if you're like me, you gotta, you gotta fall back on Romans a little bit, uh, Romans 8, um, therefore they're 8-1. Did I put that on there? I didn't, man, I missed a bunch. Romans 8-1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I gotta keep coming back to that because I think I screwed up. Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he wants, he gives us this so that, so that we will, won't be operating out of fear. It all comes down to what's our motivation for our obedience. We all know we should obey, but what's, what's our motivation? Is it because we're scaredy cats? Is it because we're, we're fearful? Or are we actually obeying because God becomes our friend? And when we get a glimpse of that, and we do every now and then, I get a glimpse of that, and I obey because of the friendship, just like our friend that came over and helped. And I do get a piece of that joy. And then I can take that joy and do it. So how, how do you do this? Okay, let's get down to it because we're getting close to the end. How do you do this? Well, you have to start with that understanding of how much God loves us. And if this takes a week or a month or the rest of your life, devote your life to figuring out how much God loves you and understand it and grasp it. Use, use some of this on how, much, on how much God loves. And then remember, once we understand that, we're supposed to go do stuff. We're not just supposed to sit here. We're supposed to go do stuff. Um, not everybody can go to North Korea. Not everybody can go to Africa, obviously. But can we pour into our kids and our grandkids and make them feel like what God makes us feel like, that joy? Can we do that to our kids and our grandkids? Absolutely. Can we be the 100% person to, our, to your wife or husband? Um, can, you, can you be the go-to person at work? Man, that's one of my pet peeves is somebody saying that they're pretty loud about they're a Christian, la, 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 and then they're sloughing off at work. Believers, followers of Jesus should be the best workers out there, no question. If you volunteer for something, 
You should do it the best. Now, you may not be the best. I mean, I can say I'm going to go do accounting until the cows come home and I'm awful at it. But I can have a good, a good attitude when I'm screwing stuff up. <laughs> I can be friendly. Oh, yeah, none of that was right. You're going to have to fix it all. Like that. But there's things in, in my life that I'm good at at work. And if, if we proclaim that we're followers of Jesus, we should be the best at our jobs. And there's times when you're just grouchy. You just wake up and you're just grouchy. You ever done that? Is that me? You ever wake up and you're just, for whatever reason, you have no idea why. Well, you can work yourself out of that as long as you don't give in to the grouchiness. And for me, a lot of times, it's just to button it. Just, just walk away. Just smile and walk away. And, that, and sometimes that's a victory. You've honored, you've honored God by walking away. You buttoned it and walked away. I'm convinced of that. And there's other times where at work, we should be the encourager. We should be the go-to person. If we're, not, if we're a follower of Jesus and we're not the go-to person at work, we need to reevaluate what's going on. Because that's your first mission field. Your first mission field is your family. Then it's the people you rub up against all day long, whatever that might be. And that's, I think, what God is talking about. Once we understand how much he loves us, we go do stuff. And you do stuff that are, that are right in your life. Um, be generous with your time and money. Be generous with it. I mean, it's all, remember, it's attitude about how we obey. We're obeying, are we obeying because of the IRS thing or are we obeying because of the friendship thing? It's the same, same thing when we write our tithe check out. Are we doing it and, and you're prying it out of your hand like that? Um, that's what they used to say, that's how they made copper wires trying to get a penny out of my mother-in-law's hand. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> You're not listening, are you, Sherry? <laughs> she knows that, okay? So is that how we are with God in our tithe? I mean, is it making copper wire? Or is it like, man, I wish I could give more. I, I really wish I could give more, Lord. But here it is. This is what I have. And you know, he is just as honored with what we can give with a happy attitude as he is, you know, gazillionaire giving a whole big lot of zeros on the check, you know? And it's all about our attitude of why we're doing stuff and how we're doing it. Um, serving people here at church. I mean, I look at this class and you guys are doing it. Look at this class. We're doing everything in here and let's just do it more. Let's, let's, and it all starts with figuring out how much God loves us. Everybody says what a great ministry Water 4 is. Oh, what a great ministry. Boo, boo. I was 48. We we're 48 years old when we started Water 4. She was older than me, but <laughs> she was 48 and a half. Um, but we're 48, we're 48 years old. This isn't like it came to us naturally. I mean, it's bumps and bruises and, and pulling and heels dug in. And, but once we got to the understanding of how much God loves us, it was, it was absolutely the next logical step. When we, went to, when we went to Africa the first time, it was the next logical step. When we went to North Korea, next logical step. When we went to Ethiopia, it was the next logical step. When we got invited to speak at the United Nations, it was the next logical step. Now, they're insane. What kind of an organization... <laughs> 
what, what kind of organization is that that lets me go speak at it? How, I mean, how good an organization could that be? That's, Willie Nelson says that. How, how, good, how, how good is the federal government if they let me get into them 30 million in taxes? <laughs> Quoting Willie Nelson, come on! So what's the next logical step for y'all? It's right here. It's the people you're rubbing up against. And it can be that cup of bitterness or it can be that overflowing joy, that joy overflowing onto them where they go, man, they are just good folks. And that's what it's supposed to be. That's the thing that puts a smile on God's face. But it all starts with trying to understand how much God loves you. And it may take a while. I, I, I fall out of that and I have to go back to some of these and understand how much God loves me. And I think that's what he'd want us to do. So. Um, this week, um, this month, uh, this year, whatever it takes, abide, hang out, and try to understand how much God loves uh, how much God loves you, specifically, not us. How much God loves you, and if that takes weeks, months, years, that's fine. You're doing exactly what God would want you to do when you're doing that. You're making God smile when you do that, when you try to understand how much he loves you. And then, when you get a glimpse of that, go and do something. And it's usually, it's usually right in front of you. For, for Terry and I, it was water pumps. We sold water pumps. It was the next logical step. So now go, this week, go and remember that. Do that. Re Come back and tell somebody, man, I really kind of got a glimpse this week how much God loves me, or I'm still working on it. So concentrate on that this week, and let's go be for the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we're just grateful for your grace and your mercy. We're so grateful that you love us, that you care deeply for us. Um, Help us to get a glimpse of that, Lord. You know our hearts. You can see us right now. And you know how we're motivated to try to understand how much you love us. Show us what that's like, Lord. You tell us if we seek you, you'll gladly come and that your Holy Spirit will guide us. And that's what we're asking for right now, that you would guide us, Lord, in the knowledge that you love us. And let us try to, this week, let each of us experience that complete joy that you desperately want for us. Help us to go out and show that then to other people so they may praise your name. We love you and we praise you as we go into worship now, Lord. We give that all back to you in Jesus' name. Amen.